You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Military Dollar. The views I express today are my own and may not reflect the views of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. This is Jessica Garbarino. This is Military Dollar. This is Gwen with Fiery Millennials, and we are weathering the financial storm with the Earn and Invest podcast. I was pissed off. No, really, I was pissed off. And it was all directed towards my financial advisor because it was 2008 and I had watched my money go down a third and then a half. And as I kept on losing more and more, I told the advisor, look, let's just take the money out and put it in my mortgage. I was paying a 4% mortgage. I figured at least I could make a 4% on my money. And he told me no. He said, you want to leave the money in, the market is down, but you're invested in good equities. You just have to leave it where it is and give it time. In fact, he wanted to take more money. He wanted me to take my excess cash because I had a stable job. I was a physician. I had a good income. He wanted me to keep on investing in the market even as it went down. And I didn't know better because... I hadn't taken the time to learn about my finances. I was a doctor. I made good money. I saved a lot. And I thought just by having a financial advisor, that made me exempt from paying attention. So I had no idea what I was doing. And it's no surprise that I told him to do exactly what I shouldn't have done. I was inexperienced. Without having a good advisor... I would have bought high and sold low, and I would have been sorry. But what if you don't have a financial advisor? What if you don't have enough time to go out and read about financial markets? What is going to happen to you? How are you going to weather the financial storm? And speaking of weathering the financial storm, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time Today, Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S dot com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Jessica Garbarino is the voice of reason on the Earn and Invest podcast Facebook group. She's also been on a number of episodes on the podcast. 
You might know her from the blog, Every Single Dollar. Uh, she calls herself a blogger, but I think what she really wants to be is a podcaster. <laughs> Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I think you've appeared on my show probably more than just about anyone else because you and I have done a number of short segments. So it's great to have you on as a main guest as opposed to be one of our short segments. So thanks again. Gwen Mers is a fiery millennial. At least that's what her blog is called. But she's also a fiery person. All of us who know her have grown to love her. She's probably been through just about every financial mistake as well as success. And she's lived to tell about them. And she's here to teach us about weathering a financial storm. Gwen, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. I don't know if I've weathered every financial mistake, but I've made a fair amount of them. And last but not least, Military Dollar is what I'd call a translator. She takes these complex financial and military concepts and makes them understandable to simple people like me. You might have caught her on her blog, Military Dollar, or seen her on Facebook. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here with my fiery friend, Gwen, and of course, with the both of you. So I think the best way to start this show about weathering what feels like financial disaster, or at least an economic downturn, is to spend a moment talking about our worst financial moments. Jessica, tell us, if you look back over the last decade, what has been your worst financial moment? Well, it kind of encompassed four years. <laughs> it wasn't even a moment, I guess. I was at the very beginning, well, I shouldn't even say the very beginning, but at the start of the Great Recession, the last Great Recession, I was laid off from my job. The company I worked for was very tightly aligned with the housing market. So as the housing market started falling apart, our business started falling apart as well. So I remember getting laid off in March of 2008. I swear March is a bad month <laughs> for a lot of financial things. I can tell you in my own personal life, it is too. So I lost my job. Luckily, I was able to find another one. And then in 2011, I lost employment again. I had gone as a contractor for my old, my previous company that I had been working for because I was moving to South Florida to take care of my grandparents. And I was working on contract. Those hours dried up. South Florida still had not recovered. In fact, six or seven houses in my grandparents' subdevelopment were in foreclosure. Their next door neighbor hadn't paid on their mortgage in 18 months and the foreclosure process hadn't even started yet. That's how bad it was down there. And I couldn't find any work. So my home that I owned in Minnesota that I had bought at the height of the market in 2005, and I consulted with tax people, with real estate people, they said, no one's going to buy it. I bought it for 1095 it sold in March of 2012, again, March being that key month, at the sheriff's sale for $35,000. Ouch. So I took a big financial bath. I still have the letter from the lawyer telling me when the sheriff's sale was going to be. So I've just gotten out of seven years outside of foreclosure. So yeah, to say the least, it was a rocky few years. And then couple in that, taking care of two senior citizen grandparents that are both from Cuba, so they have their own cultural thing you got to deal with as well. It was quite an adventure. So it's safe to say that it didn't happen exactly during the great 2008 recession. However, 
your trouble selling your house, et cetera, were a direct result of the poor housing market that stemmed from it. Oh, absolutely. And when I lost my job in 2008, the first job that I lost, I was in a panic because I had no savings. I had credit cards up to my eyeballs, car. I had financed a television and I had MBA student loans that I was paying off. So at least I got smart in 2010 about paying off some of that debt. But then that all went into a whole craziness when I that whole house foreclosure happened. So mine really got stretched out. Gwen, same question to you. What would you say was your worst financial moments in the last decade? Well, 10 years ago, I was a freshman in college, so I had a pretty blank slate. Hadn't made too many mistakes at that point, thanks to the guidance of my parents as they taught me about personal finances and and taking care of your money, staying out of debt, getting low car payments and low car loans to pay off as quickly as you could. So all the basics were there. I was on a full ride scholarship, so I didn't have any student loans. My food and my housing were taken care of. So really, the effects of the Great Recession didn't really impact me at all. I had friends that lost their co-op positions with the local Fortune 500 company. I had friends who lost their jobs. Their parents lost their jobs. I had friends that couldn't go to their college of choice anymore because their parents couldn't afford to pay it. So they went to the local community college, but I was relatively unaffected. And by the time I graduated college in 2013, the market had recovered enough that I was able to hop right into an internship and turn that into a full-time position. So my worst financial outlook from the last decade was actually about 18 months ago, right towards the end of my self-employment period. I left my good-paying job with that really good company and moved to Minnesota. I'm sensing a theme here, Jessica. I know, just need to stay really. away from Minnesota. <laughs> no it's offense all Minnesota. To the, yeah. no my family's offense, all there still. <laughs> no offense to Minnesotans. No. You know, this is a great, wonderful place, but not great for you and me, Jessica. Oh. So I moved there and tried to make it work on my own and just couldn't make it happen. I didn't have a big enough cash cushion. I had a rental property that was bleeding me dry and causing lots of stress. Military dollars, stop laughing at me. For she was the whole thing. Who are listening? We laugh. Her her home that she had was known as the Dingle House. And if you want to talk about horror stories, she had them. So, yeah, I that was uh, I made pretty much every landlord mistake in the book <laughs> for sure. So um, by the time I was done with that, I sold the house. I walked away with money in my pocket and my credit intact. So really, I walked away with the best possible scenario. But I spent nine months not collecting a regular paycheck. And at the end of it, I was basically tapped out. I needed to move across the country to my new job, took on a little bit of credit card debt, which didn't take me much at all to pay off. I was extremely blessed to move in with people who didn't charge me rent for a couple of months until I got back on my feet. So really the worst spot that I've ever been in financially wasn't really that bad after all. So military dollar, we have Jessica who certainly suffered through the great recession and then had trouble with the housing market. We have Gwen who did fine during the recession, but then became a victim of the Dingle house. Tell us about your most difficult financial situation over the last decade. If you've had one. And was it related to either 2002 or 2008? Yeah, so I'm 
I, I don't know how old Jessica is, but I'm fairly significantly older than Gwen. So I was already established in my career when 2008 hit. And I would say in the last decade, if we're looking from 2010 to 2020, I don't have any major mistakes. I have little ones that compared to the average person still wouldn't, they might not even consider it a mistake at all. Things like I bought a rental home in 2011 and then another rental home in 2012, or or excuse me, another home that I lived in in 2012. And when I bought the rental home, I made sure that the rent would cover the mortgage plus a little bit of buffer, but I didn't know anything like the 1% rule. So I definitely did things that I wouldn't do again, but nothing that I would really call a mistake. My mistakes came in the decade prior. So when the previous recession hit, I was in college. I didn't really know anything about money, but back when I had no money, I started learning about money, which is what set me up to not screw things up. I haven't necessarily done all the right things, but I definitely have not made all the wrong mistakes. Military, I often say that being a physician for me was somewhat recession-proof. I always knew, or at least thought up until this current recession, that no matter how bad things got, I would always have a job. I'm wondering if you look at the military the same way. Certainly, people make financial mistakes that have other to do than just their job. But does the military give you a little bit of security in times like these? It does. But what I always try to stress to people, so I'm now 16 years into my career, I have more knowledge, considerably more knowledge about how things work now than they did when I first entered the military. So when I first entered the military, I thought you got to just decide that you wanted to stay in the military. I did not realize that the military had any of the normal things that civilian jobs do that you could be fired from the military and you absolutely can. It's not necessarily as easy to get fired from the military as it is from a civilian job. But when it happens, it can have a much more impact because you lose not necessarily just your paycheck, but you lose all of your benefits. You lose your lifestyle because being in the military is very different than being a civilian, as Gwen knows very well, because Gwen was in the military prior to this. And then you also lose a lot of people assume when they get into the military that they're going to stay for a full career and that they're going to get the pension after 20 years. And you also lose that if you get out of the military. So we still have what's called a reduction in force, which I think some civilian jobs use the same terminology. Yep. We still have those. We had one during the 2008 recession that a lot of people have conveniently forgotten about. But yeah, it's it's not as secure as everybody assumes. So Jessica, we're talking about weathering the financial storms or even surviving and thriving during an economic recession or downturn. And the reason why I asked you all about kind of your worst financial moments is because we assume that after we go through something bad, and especially all of us who are interested in personal finance, that we learn from it and don't make the same mistakes again. Now, the problem with that is every time we go through an economic recession, it feels like this time is different. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people talk about our current pandemic and now economic downturn. And me, who's fairly educated, even I sometimes think, well, but this time is different. What do you think about what's happening right now? Is this just a run-of-the-mill economic downturn? Markets go up, markets go down. This is what we expect. Or is this a different kind of flavor from what we've tasted before? 
Well, I mean, if if you look at the 2008 recession, that was based more on on a financial market, the housing market. This is this whole like, and I'm sure you can see this from a medical standpoint. This this adds this disease thing part of it adds an entire new layer that we haven't seen in a hundred years. I mean, I wish we could go back and talk to some of these people that went through it. Although it was a whole different time, you know. I mean, you think about it. There wasn't air flight like there is today. There isn't the transportation that happens. I mean. I think Orville and Wilbur Wright were barely off the ground when this, <laughs> when the 1918 pandemic happened, right? Literally. And people didn't talk about it. I mean, we found out after my grandfather passed away that he had had the 1918 flu. My parents did not find out until after he had passed away that he had graduated high school a year later because he spent seven months in bed. It almost got lost in a generation or it was that generation that didn't talk about it. And it was kind of like surviving a war, right? Like, oh, it was yeah. so terrible that nobody was, wanted to ever talk about it ever again. I mean, the loss of life was crazy, right? I mean, and he, they lived in rural Pennsylvania, like Western Pennsylvania. So to me to even have that get that far in that day and age is crazy. But what I think is interesting is that you look at people who came out of the Depression, right? Depression lasted a good decade and that stuck with them. I used to like laugh at my grandparents, not like laugh, laugh at them, but laugh when they would count out pennies to the, you know, to the actual scent of something they were buying for, you know, whatever they were purchasing, because that stuck with them, that resonated for so long. I mean, we've had a whole decade between the, these two events and it's like, it's like people forgot. It's like, we've had a whole decade like some of us, I'm not saying everybody was in the financial position to prepare, but I'm saying there's, there's people who definitely just were kind of like, we're going to go back to being the grasshopper and play our fiddle and let the, you know, I'm not going to prepare for the next storm. It's like, I, I don't know if it wasn't severe enough or it didn't hurt enough. I don't know. I would actually say that probably a big part of the problem is how well we have done ever since 2008. So 2008 to 2000, about 2010, 2011, I think people really felt it. And people, you know, if you didn't go bankrupt or lose your house, you knew somebody who did. Right. But then we had such a great recovery. It right. Was, it was quick. So good. Yeah. I think people did forget a little bit about how much it hurt because they were able to recover from it fairly quickly in a lot of cases. Not everybody did, and I'm not saying that, but I think that probably had a big part of it. Jessica, I really connect to what you say because my grandmother, my mom's mother, lost her mother during the 1918 flu pandemic. Her father was left with multiple, multiple kids, and my grandmother was put up for adoption and actually grew up in an adoption Mm -hmm. agency in New York City during the Great Depression. She was never adopted. She aged out at the age of 18. And, you know, we always knew that some of her behavior stemmed from being both growing up in an adoption agency and then living through the Great Depression. Things like when she ate, she would always have much more food on her plate than she would ever eat. And all those years later in her 70s and 80s, it was still part of who she was. So I really connect with what you say, this idea of the trauma was so severe, at least at that time. And maybe as military dollars saying that it was so short lived during the great recession that it, it didn't stick. Gwen, it really begs the question, 
we all are in the business of writing about our personal finances. Do we give different advice this time around? Should the plan change? We can't give advice to everybody that applies to everybody, right? Personal finance is personal. So whatever advice we give out is not going to apply to somebody just simply by default. So what I've focused more on doing, instead of giving advice to people, because I I don't know their situations, you know, how am I qualified to give advice to people? I'm just talking about what I have done and hopes that by me talking about what I've done, I've been able to lead by example and encourage other people to follow in my footsteps since then. And that's that's how I choose to look at it, is that I am... I'm making a difference by offering up, you know, the the blue pill from <laughs> the matrix, right? Like go down consumerism and stay in the same old path or take the pill and be in this crazy world of financial independence where you'll be safe and secure and very less worried about the state of the world. Jessica, I read a post you did on Every Single Dollar about what you learned from losing your job and the recession. And there were just a certain number of things you ticked off that are good ideas to prepare yourself for economic difficulties. Talk about those a little bit and have they changed this time around? I think a lot of them hold true just because they're basic money principles. It's funny being in a lot of personal finance groups, people try to get real fancy, like with emergency funds, trying to put part of it in the market. <laughs> and I'm an advocate for keeping stuff in cash to be accessible. And I said, you know, stop trying to be cute with your <laughs> emergency funds. I just try to keep it simple. When I was dealing with the last recession, I was deep in debt. I mean, I was making $1,000 a month in payments to debt. This time around, I wasn't as freaked out. I think I also started living below my expectations. I used, to, I used to say that when I talk about my financial journey, I said my 401k was in my closet because I bought so many shoes. I can't even tell you. Like I was trying to live like I was on Sex in the City because I was living in Philadelphia during the time that show was on. So I was trying to live this very, you know, whatever life with the cosmopolitans and all that stuff. So glamorous. I know. I was like, I really wanted to be like a Carrie or whatever. You know, we each had our personalities. But I, you know, and then the other thing was, like I said, living below my means and then knowing that it's going to pass at some point. It can't go on like this forever. And I came out on the other side and I'm here. I mean, not barring getting COVID-19, but I'm just saying like, I'm here having weathered the financial part of it. I mean, there were times where I'll tell you, I was, I couldn't see past the day because it was so overwhelming. And I remember being very depressed and crying. And I had these two people I was taking care of and I just, I had to keep moving forward. Wait, are you describing last Tuesday for me or are you describing? Well, that was my <laughs> afternoon when I was eating cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you've seen some of the stuff I posted on social media where I was like, 
supermarket sweep is just getting a little too close to home when I'm having to like run through the grocery store to like get everything I need and get out in three minutes. I feel like it's training though. What? (laughs) That I always wanted to play like supermarket sweep. Yes. It's on show ever. Okay, so slight tangent, but does anybody else like write out what they need from the grocery store and then organize it where it is in the store so you only have to do one rotation? No, but I'm taking that idea now. (laughs) It is okay. If nobody's done this before, it is the best idea ever because it's the most efficient path. Unless you're looking for weird things like Velveeta, not in anywhere that makes a sense. And then you have to kind of wander around and call your mom and be like, Mom, where is it? If you're me. (laughs) But you get in, you walk around once, you snag everything you need, and then you just whoop, right, you're done. Yeah, so Gwen knows where I live, and she knows that the city that I live in is not necessarily most populated. It's <laughs> And so not only is it not that easy, because they don't necessarily put things where I would normally expect them, but during, like, just in 2020... They, the local Walmart, which is where I get the majority of my groceries from other than Sam's Club, just because there's not a lot of options, has redone their layout of their grocery section twice. So <laughs> it's not that Just to add me. more spice to this year. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. They did one during the last month. They, they reorganized about half of the aisles. So, um, Is your local Walmart run by Satan, perhaps? Because <laughs> that sounds like hell on earth in right. many different ways. All right, military dialogue. Let me, let me segue this podcast back onto its tracks because <laughs> it's, it's clearly gone off. What Jessica was talking about, this idea that, okay, we go through an economic downturn. We learn that you should have an emergency fund. We learn that you should find ways to cut your expenses. We understand that you should get out of debt. But all of that pushes aside this fact that it's much more than just dollars and cents. When we're going through something like this, it gets emotional, right? I mean, Jessica was talking about how emotional it could be for her, how difficult it was to go on, even as we're joking about the grocery store and the aches and pains associated with what we're going through now. Do we discount the emotions? Do we forget that it's more than just looking at the spreadsheets? I mean... I I don't know if you do, but I would say the average person absolutely does. And this kind of goes back to what Gwen was saying about she doesn't give advice. She only says what she does because there are a lot of people who don't realize that there isn't one path to success with personal finance. And those are the people who forget the emotions. And they say, oh, well, you should just do this. You should just have your emergency fund all in cash, or you should just have your emergency fund in your Roth IRA. You should absolutely stick to only index funds, or real estate is always the best. Anybody who's saying those kinds of things is forgetting about that kind of stuff. So I'll talk about real estate, because I have real estate. I have a rental property. I'll probably get more in the future, but I don't like being a landlord. I much prefer having index funds. Same. I, <laughs> I I like some of the benefits of being a landlord. And so I will continue being a landlord because of that. But it is not something I enjoy. It is just something that I do because I realize it makes sense. Just like nobody loves saving all of their money. You know, that is not a joyful thing for anybody. But I'm a spender, get, so yeah. I like to spend money. Jessica, do you miss off those shoes? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> 
But what you get out of saving, you know, the 10 years later where you're going through an ec- another economic downturn and you're not really all that worried, like that's what's worth it. Like that's what I've been buying for the last 16 years of my life is to not have to worry. And that's a huge emotional component that can't, it, there's no dollar amount that gets you to that point. I can't even pinpoint for you when I stopped worrying about money, but I so, know I don't. So military dollar, here's a question for you. A new emotion that has popped up for me in the last month or so has been guilt. I feel pretty guilty that I have it good. I have a steady job that's not getting cut anytime soon. My pay has flowed in uninterrupted. I have a house, you know, a wonderful place to live. I have more than enough food to eat in the fridge. And I know that there are people who don't have that right now. And I feel kind of like survivor's guilt. How do you manage that? Yeah. So Gwen and I actually talk every single day. So I, I've known about this um, and how she feels and she knows what I'm doing. So I am spending all of my free time. So I'm also working still full time and getting my full paycheck. That's what the military does. When I am not at work, I am home and I have been making masks that I'm giving away. I have given to our local soup kitchen that I used to volunteer at. Can't volunteer there right now, so I'm giving them food. I have donated to the Choose Five Foundation. I have, because I am blessed and because I have a lot myself, I am choosing to share it with the world even more generously than I would normally because Everybody doesn't have it as good as I do. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to spread that around. Jessica, let me take an unpopular position here. Gwen was mentioning guilt. Military Dollar is talking about all the things she's kind of doing to help. Could one not argue that we're weathering the storm well because we've prepared, because we've suffered during previous recessions, because we've made a better plan of attack? You could say that, but I also know there's people that haven't weathered storms and are still doing well, so they may not have been affected as well. I will say I've had a lot of conversations, though, with people who have said, you know, they've gotten stimulus money, they're not sure what to do with it, they may not even really need it. I've told people, I, I told them what I did, because I got a little bit, I said, I, I gave it to a a fund that's actually helping with coronavirus financial aid, I, you know, so... I think what it's what's helping is that I, I feel like I guess I'm overcoming my survivor guilt by knowing what I went through in 2008 and not wanting that for anybody else. So like military dollars saying I'm doing I'm giving more probably more now than I ever have because I I just feel like I was able to get through the last one and so I feel like I need to pay it forward. So or would you say that your sense of survivor's guilt is outweighed by your survivor's mentality from the last one? I don't know if I have guilt. I think because I've weathered it and knowing that I came out on the other side, but I still want to do my part to help other people who are not doing well during this time. So I do what I can. And I also know I can't solve all of the problems either. So... <laughs> I and that's hard for me as someone who wants to like fix everything. I want I'm a fix like I just I want to give to everybody and it kills me that I can't. So 
I just do what I can. And I have to accept that as being okay. I think that's a good way to phrase it. I wouldn't say I necessarily have survivor's guilt. I don't feel guilty about having made all of the moves that I've made over the last you know, 15 years because I had to work for them. But I am turning around and helping the person behind me and pulling them up too because I can. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, certainly there are people out there that don't necessarily believe in doing that because they're okay getting to their pinnacle and not having others there. But that would be really boring for me. I want everybody <laughs> else to achieve financial independence and be retired with me in their 40s too so that we can go hike the Appalachian Trail together. I want other people to be able to, during this time, to be able to buy takeout from our local restaurants. And I want those local restaurants to survive so that I can get takeout from them. So there's a little bit of a selfishness to helping out as well that, you know, people need to recognize. So that's why I'm doing it because that's the world that I want to live in. Yeah. And I will definitely say that your advice and others that I've talked to has definitely helped assuage that for sure. I have given away the vast majority of my stimulus money and the money that I haven't donated has gone directly back into the economy by buying things to help keep places open. So, In the first half of the show, Jessica, Gwen, and Military talk about some of their early financial mistakes. After the break, we discuss more how to weather the current financial storm. But first... You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so that they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T. H-A-C-K-S dot com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Jessica, a little bit ago, you mentioned the fact that you had weathered the storm previously. And I'm wondering if that is part of your current confidence. I'm looking at 
the four of us sitting on this call, we've all at some point been through some economically difficult times. I certainly made mistakes, bad mistakes in 2002. I wasn't yet smart enough to make the right decisions in 2008. And yet here we all are, and we've all done reasonably well. Does that give you confidence going into this recession right now? It does. I think also seeing others in my family that have gone through really severe you know, economic times. I mean, my grandparents emigrated to this country with zero dollars at almost 40 years old. And they were able to retire comfortably. I mean, we ended up moving them to Minnesota with my parents. They died in their late 80s, early 90s. But for me, I mean, that they were also my catalyst to getting out of debt. But they were my ideal of saying, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to make those financial dreams come true. And they worked their tails off. You know, I mean, it didn't come easy. They put in a lot of hours. They had to deal with a lot of BS coming to a new country with no language or anything. They couldn't use any of their degrees or certifications from their old country. So I'm lucky because I'm surrounded by that, too, in my own family story. And my other grandparents, too, they lost a business in Pennsylvania and ended up moving from Pennsylvania to Florida to start all over. So I guess it's in my blood (laughs) a little bit. It's this whole survivor attitude. And at the time, I couldn't see it because here I was coming. I came out of college in 2000. I had an accounting degree. I thought I was untouchable. I thought I was in a, a degree field that was untouchable. And I learned very quickly that nothing is guaranteed. So I think that's why I'm always cautiously optimistic and I don't take anything for granted that it's going to always be there. Military Dollar, when I went to medical school during my first few months, I remember that I got more and more stressed out as I watched the other students prepare for tests and talk about what we were doing. And then I met an upperclassman who took me aside and said, you know what, you need to spend the next four years with blinders on. You know, she said to me, pay attention to what you're doing. Don't worry about everyone else. And this reminds me a lot of the chatter we hear in our community from our friends, our neighbors, and our family, and especially from the media. Are people just freaking us out, making it seem a lot worse than it is? Some are, certainly. I personally have been surprised by how little this economic downturn seems to have hurt people so far. So the government forcing businesses to close has definitely hurt people. But the, you know, the stock market went down and then it came back up and it's fundamentally about where it was before. There's no huge change there. People are getting money from the government, so they're able to survive. I I do feel like in six months to a year, we might see more impacts than we are seeing currently today because so much emergency money was put in that, you know, yes, we're hearing about what are we up to 26 million people on unemployment in just a few weeks, but it doesn't feel like that right now, right? It doesn't feel like the whole economy is collapsing partly because we can't go to those businesses anyway. So we can't see that people aren't there because we're not there. So there is a little bit of fear-mongering in the news. I don't blame the news. I always tell people the news is there to keep you interested and to keep you know, you watching. 
So I am not surprised at all by that. But I do think people need to rationally look at what's happening and assess that numbers don't tell the full story. Gwen, talk about that a little bit. Numbers don't tell the full story. I am very confused by the stock market right now because when you compare the stock market to what's happening to our businesses as well as to our unemployment, it doesn't make much sense to me. Can we read the tea leaves? Like, can you look into the future and say, yeah, in six months, I think this is going to be better or a year. Do you have any idea? You know, honestly, I think that's by design. I think that the more complicated the stock market looks to the average person, the better off that certain industries do. So I I don't know if we can see the future. I mean, right now, by all accounts, the market should be going down because businesses aren't open, people are losing money hand over fist, you know, balance sheets are plummeting everywhere. And yet it's going up. And why is that? Well, some of that's some of the action that the Fed is taking by pumping, you know, billions and trillions of dollars into the market. So I think that we should look and see what is actually being represented in the market. Is that average Americans or is that business? And kind of see if we can separate how we as an economy are doing separate from how the market is doing. Because clearly the two are not correlated in any way, shape, or form. I like to think of the market sometimes as like a 12-year-old girl. (laughs) Like the emotions can go up and down at any time for reasons that do not make sense, like at all. I like to think of my 12-year-old daughter as a 12-year-old girl. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she can predict the market. Maybe she can predict it. How is she feeling? Is she feeling up or down today? (laughs) (laughs) So Jessica, this is, it's a funny point, right? Because I believe in market efficiency long-term, right? So the idea that the stock market reflects the economy long-term So if I really think that's the case, shouldn't I be licking my chops and taking all my money out of the stock market and waiting for it to crash? I mean, we say we're not supposed to time the market, but you have to admit that looking at our future, most of us feel like there's going to be a definite drop before it goes back up. Any temptation on your side? No, I'm still investing the same way I I always have been because I bought high at some point. And I'll buy low at an. I actually just checked my investments and I'm almost back up to where I was at the beginning of the year. So I must be in some funds that are not being quite as affected as everybody else's are <laughs> with the market. Gwen, I saw you shaking your head. Any pivoting going on with your asset allocation or what you're doing with your free cash? I have literally changed nothing. I didn't change any allocation in my 401k. I haven't shuffled money around at all. I haven't even tried to, I've tried not even to check my balances because I'm already depressed enough being isolated. I don't need to be more depressed by watching numbers go down. So yeah, I haven't changed anything except, you know, like I mentioned to to give a bit more away. So actually my savings is a little lower than it would otherwise be. Military dollars, same for you. Is what they say about asset allocation true, right? What I've always been told is you set your asset allocation based on your long-term needs, and that shouldn't change based on current events. Is that true? Should we be changing things up? I think that holds true. I do think that a lot of people, when they initially set their asset allocation, maybe didn't give it enough thought. 
So I asked in several Facebook groups, uh, and I think also on Twitter, how people felt when we initially had that first huge drop in the stock market, whether or not they were actually feeling comfortable with what was going on. And a lot of people were not. And that tells me their asset allocation was wrong. There were a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, I really should have had some bonds to smooth that ride. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's what's going on with Jessica. But they, again, they got in during the good years and they were flying high on 100% stocks. And then they saw that, oh, no kidding, it actually can drop 30% in a short amount of time. And now they're going to make changes going forward. But I think if you choose your asset allocation smartly from the beginning, then it shouldn't change just because of what's going on. And I would add in that that's that asset allocation for you. So whereas one person might be 100% comfortable with a very high equity allocation during this rocky time, someone else may feel very uncomfortable with that and want to be more heavily on the bond side. Yeah. And I'm I'm nearly 100% in stocks myself. The only bonds I have are from when I initially started investing and I just didn't sell them when I switched to 100% stocks, but I'm, I'm like 95, 96% stocks. I am not changing because I am okay with that based on my savings rate and my plans and my potential pension that I'm going to be getting. That is my situation and it doesn't apply to everybody else. But that's not your entire portfolio. You're not 100% invested in the market because you do own real estate. Yep. And, you know, when this market downturn first happened and we were looking at, you know, what did it end up getting to like a negative or it went down like 31%, I think, total was the low point. I've been sitting on a ton of cash because I'm considering buying another house this summer And when everybody else was talking about flooding the market with their money and buying sales on stock, my money was literally where my mouth was. And I didn't do that because I might buy a house and I needed to keep that cash liquid in order to buy that house. If it turns out that I end up not buying a house this summer, then maybe I missed out on a sale, but whatever. You know, I stuck with my plan is the important part. Yeah. And what's wonderful about that is people confuse emergency fund with short-term fund and then long-term investing fund. And what you've clearly demonstrated, which I think is very important, is you had a short-term plan for that money. It didn't make sense for you to change on a whim based on the market, which you have very little control over. But your wish to put that money into a mortgage or a real estate property at some point was your long-term plan. So it made sense not to take that money and change on the button and put it in the stock market. So this gets back to this whole issue of setting your financial plan and your asset allocation before you get to these troubled times so that you know what the right decisions are to make during these difficult times. Jessica, that's a perfect transition. We have been spending a lot of time talking about personal decisions and how we make it through these tough times. But I feel like we haven't given a lot of concrete advice. What we just mentioned, this idea of setting your asset allocation, thinking deeply about it, even setting a financial plan. I think that's one good piece of advice we can give people in order to manage difficult financial times when they come. Let's try to be a little more specific. What else can we do specifically to prepare us for these kind of times? 
I think the thing that's understated quite a bit or not or not talked about is the the mental aspect of it because I think there is a lot of math to finances, but there's so much emotion and behavior that goes into it. I mean, the only reason I've been able to feel okay during this time, and I've had I've had my days where <laughs> I'm not feeling that great, is because I followed through with a plan that I had. That made me feel secure. I mean, I walked away from a job in, <laughs> in October, <laughs> and I've been working on contract since then. I was very lucky to land something on contract before this all went down. But I had a plan in place. I had money set aside for when I would be in between jobs. So I think you have to find what emotionally keeps you sane. And I think like Military Dollar was saying, you know, it's not going to be the same for everybody. Some people are going to want a heck of a lot heftier cash fund on hand. Maybe that means you pick up an extra, you know, side hustle. I know there's, I have my sister, I have two sisters that are both doing like ship and instant cart, you know, that are doing that on the side. One of my sisters was supposed to start up with Delta Airlines as a flight attendant. That didn't happen. So she pivoted very quickly to something else. So having some flexibility with yourself. What what did you say? (laughs) That one literally didn't get off the ground. Yeah. (laughs) She had been trying. This was her third attempt to become a flight attendant too. Third time. Third time was not a charm. No, no. Not flying the friendly, oh, that's United, sorry, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong company. But I think you have to find out what emotionally, what level you can operate at. So for some people, it's making more money. For some people, it's cutting back expenses. You got to find that balance for yourself. So Gwen, Jessica mentioned having a financial plan. She mentioned being prepared emotionally for the behavioral aspects of investing and a recession. You brought up with military dollar, this idea of diversification when she was talking about being mostly equities and you corrected her and said, but yes, you also have your money in real estate. Talk about diversification. Is that still a key to surviving these type of economic situations? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, different markets are, well, different parts of the market are behaving differently depending on where you're at. So some restaurant groups are plummeting deep. I mean, Amazon, I think, is doing well, if not higher than ever. So it depends, you know, you need to be diversified not only in what kind of assets you're investing in, but also the various parts of the market, you know, maybe not being too heavily invested in tech startups that can't work, you know. If you're invested in Uber, maybe not such a great thing to be invested, but if you're also invested in something else that's doing well like video game companies, for example, then you know, it's all going to average out and the hit will be less. And I think we always forget to include our jobs or our businesses as part of our asset allocation and our diversification plan. So someone who has a very stable job that they're not likely to be fired from can probably have a different asset allocation than someone who is retired or is in a job like Uber in which could be seasonal or they could be affected specifically by this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm in a very stable job. I have a pension and healthcare will be covered in retirement. There's no talk of layoffs or furloughing. And we're even actually considering hiring more because demand is higher than ever. So that allows me to take a lot more risk with what 
I'm doing elsewhere, like in my stock allocation or maybe investing in some real estate deals or something like that, because I'm fairly confident that, you know, unless I mess up big time, which I'm doing everything not to, I'm going to have a job and steady income. Whereas when I was a contractor in DC, I was behaving very differently with my investments because that income was not guaranteed and circumstances were very different. Military Dollar, I hate to bring it up, but I feel like it's necessary during this conversation. I want to go back to the emergency fund. Are there any hard and fast rules? Should it be three months, six months? Where should the money be? I would say there's not, other than I do think it needs to be easily accessible. I definitely agree with Jessica on that one because uh, a lot of people, you know, they they go to, I'll just put it in the market and I'll get it out. Well, if the market is down and the money literally isn't there when you go to take it out, that's still not easily accessible. Even if you can sell what you have, if you are selling it for one third of the value that you need it to be, that's not good. So I do think you need something easily accessible, but I do think that people don't necessarily look at all the options. So having a 0% credit card is one option to have easily accessible money. It's not my first option. I wouldn't necessarily say that anybody should have that as their primary plan, but that is something that you can do. I did when about a month ago when people were talking about this, I did like to remind people that relying on getting credit in the middle of a recession is not a good idea because they lock down credit. So again, I know that for sure. (laughs) I bought a car in the middle of the recession, 7.25% financing on a brand new car in November of 08. Oh, oh, that's awful. Because I totaled my car. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So don't rely on that, but you know, there's different things you can do. I think you should, I think everybody should have a little bit of a buffer in their checking account. I get really worried when I hear about people who go down to like, you know, less than a hundred dollars in their checking account as a plan. Like it's one thing if you just don't have the money, but there are a lot of people who plan that out every month and that I, I just couldn't survive mentally with doing that. You can't see this or hear it, but the marbles in my head are making a ruckus as I shake my head vigorously back and forth. No. Scary. Because (laughs) one higher than expected bill that you've got Mm -hmm. set on auto pay and it's paying and you don't even know it. And all of a sudden you're overdrafting on your account. Like, oh, I couldn't do that. So I think you should have a little bit extra in your checking account. I think I'm bad about this, but I think you should have a little bit of money at home. You want to talk about emergency funds and diversification. Something that I talked about with Kate Harrell is having more in your pantry than you necessarily think of. You know, I, I'm not trying to brag here, but I definitely called the whole supermarket thing. And I told the people at work, you, like in early May or excuse me, early March, go shopping because we're going to run out of food. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And it's exactly what happened. And then people are complaining because their grocery bill has doubled in a month. Well, that's what happens. So having an emergency fund there. My caring mother who was here while she was visiting me was right at the beginning of this. And again, I told you she came here from Cuba. We went to the grocery store and she starts pulling toilet paper off the rack. She's like, you're going to need this. You're going to need this. And I'm like, mom. And she goes, no, you don't understand. We used to go to the supermarket and not have anything there. Like, 
it was unreal. <laughs> so yeah. God bless her. She was trying to care about me, but I was like, oh, God. You were literally giving her shit for it. Pretty much. <laughs> Can we this say is that? why Gwen is my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, military dial, you sure you want to admit that on live air? <laughs> uh, he's the best. You, you know, you know what kind of emergency fund you need? You need a great, funny friend during these times. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of emergency funds, Gwen, we have a lot of friends in the financial independence retire early community. And many of them for the last few years have been big on what we'd call lean financial independence or barista financial independence, or some people have really utilized slow travel and geo-arbitrage in order to become financially independent and stop working early. Looking at that now with what we see happening today, do you think that was a little aggressive? Heck yeah, I do. And I... That was my plan when I started out all of this in 2012. You know, I was going to live like our our friend Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, and I was going to live off of $24,000 a year or something like that and save up $635,000. And, you know, then I would never have to work again and life would be amazing. And the older I got and the more I experienced, I was like, you know, that that doesn't leave a lot of leeway in case things go sideways. And so I, pretty much abandoned that path. I'm still on the path to financial independence, but not the lean side for sure. And so I've never been more grateful that I'm not on that path right now because in my opinion, that's the best case scenario plan. You know, when your plan depends on everything going exactly right, you being able to get out of Vietnam and in the middle of the night if you need to, or the market not going down right when you need to withdraw or your credit card not getting canceled when that's the main source of your points. And all of a sudden you have to cash out all of your points and now you're not able to travel as cheaply, you know? So I, I didn't think that that plan left enough room for the random variables of chance. Jessica, after being through what you went through in 2008 to 2012, could you ever imagine retiring early or trying to do one of the more lean versions of financial independence? No. And that's purely from just seeing the medical (laughs) in my family and my own family and caretaking for older family members and seeing what that costs. I, I don't think I could ever do the lean part of it because I don't have any medical that's set up after retirement. Maybe I should consider a government job at this point to get something like that. But, you know, I saw what my grandparents, I, I don't think even my grandparents thought they were going to live as long as they did. I mean, so now I got longevity on, on my family's side. I mean, my grandmother lived to be 95. Her dad lived to be 101. So I got to be I, I'm, I always think how much longer. I will say that I'm looking more for financial independence to provide me that to be able to have more options to do what I want to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean to stop working. My dad retired two years ago. He still does consulting stuff on the side because he enjoys it, but he's picky about it. So it's I don't think it's ever this financial independence that I would stop working or stop doing something. 
but it's just so that I don't have to worry quite as much about having the job, you know, a permanent full-time job. Military Dollar, I feel pretty certain or at least hope that we will come out of this recession wiser. Will we come out stronger? How do you think the personal finance community is going to manage this in the end? I am definitely one of the people that says, you know, when all these articles came out about this downturn is going to kill the fire movement, that is inconceivable to me. I cannot imagine anybody looking at the difficulties of this time and going, I would rather not have a lot of money. (laughs) I, I don't want to have a buffer to not work and, and be comfortable not working. So I definitely think we're going to continue to grow even more. I do think you're going to not see so much of the lean fire. I think you're going to see a lot more people, you know, looking at having multiple jobs or multiple sources of income and not putting all of their eggs in one basket. And I think those are good things. So I think we will change, but I can't, I cannot even conceive of us not getting stronger because of this. The word that comes to mind, Gwen, is resiliency. In a podcast that we actually just dropped today about behavioral investing, Matt Hall, one of the guests, said that what he tries to teach his clients is how to bend with the wind but not break. This idea of learning how to deal with sway, right? And if you're in a high rise and it's a really windy day, what happens? You can feel the building sway, but that actually adds to its strength. (laughs) And I think that's something we're probably trying to build up ourselves. And maybe that's what this whole financial independence and being aware of personal finances is we're trying to build a little more sway into our lives. Yeah, definitely uh, keep taking those supplements to keep your your joints nice and mobile. (laughs) And on that note of mobile joints, I'm going to give you guys each a chance to tell us what is happening in your life and where we can find you on the internet. Jessica, what's going on in your life and where can we find you? You can find me at everysingledollar.com, Instagram, I'm on everysingledollar and on Facebook. I am starting to write more articles on the blog concerning, well, in the month of May, I'll be talking about mental health and how that relates to personal finance. Mental health is a big area in my, in my world. And so I am also going to be sharing content that people write on finance and mental health as well. Military Dollar, what's up next in your life and where can we find you? So I'm actually, like I said, still working full-time and working on a lot of things related to COVID. So I haven't been on the blog very much. I will get back to that, I promise everybody. And I haven't been on Facebook very much, but when I'm on Facebook, you can find me. My name on Facebook is Airman Mill Dollar. Um, I do tend to be more on Twitter, so I'm at military underscore dollar on there. And then I'm moving this summer, so we're going to see... How that affects things, I'm getting a new job, and it's going to be even more time-consuming than my current one. So I couldn't tell you what the future of my blog is, but in my career, things are happening. And Gwen, we know where physically to find you in St. Louis, but what's up next in your life, and where can we find you on the internet? Well, I am literally doing nothing with my life but hanging out, chilling with my cat, who you can probably hear purring in the background because he's obsessed with me right now. 
So yes, I'm in St. Louis and I'm also still working full time and just trying not to lose it completely over here. So occasionally I find a moment of inspiration and write a blog post on fieryMillennials.com. That's two N and two L's. And I am also likewise on Twitter and Instagram and not necessarily so much on Facebook because I kind of keep that separate from everything, but happy to interact on Twitter or Instagram or via my blog. I wanted to thank you also for reminding us about how to spell millennial correctly because as a Gen Xer, I almost always get spell corrected on that word. I have to literally think about it every time. So thank you. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Jessica Garbarino, Gwen Mers, and Military Dollar. That's a wrap. And cut. July 4th is bittersweet for me. It is the memory most intimately connected with my father. You see, he died when I was eight years old. And some of the few memories I have are surrounding this time of year. I remember the time he was a judge for the July 4th parade and the day before we went up and down Central Street putting U.S. flags on all the streetlights. And I remember the year we drove to Wisconsin and bought fireworks, and then he lit the M80 off in our backyard, and it was so powerful, it blew the glasses off of his face. You see, as an eight-year-old, I emulated my father. I wanted to be everything that he was. So when he died, the most natural thing was for me to want to be a doctor. And so my life course was laid out in front of me. I went to college and medical school and became a doctor just like my dad. But somehow it wasn't fulfilling my purpose and meaning in life. And that's when I discovered financial independence. Financial independence told me that I had enough money to leave being a doctor, to leave medicine, and then I could pursue those things that interest me like communicating and writing and podcasting and public speaking. And how ironic is that? The clearest memories I have of my father surround July 4th, Independence Day, which put me into the indentured servitude of medicine that I would eventually be freed from through financial independence. That's irony. These are strange times. Because of the coronavirus and the pandemic, July 4th parades aren't happening this year. By the time you hear this, July 4th will already have passed, and I won't have gone to a parade. That one ritual, that one memory I have that connects me to my father. Independence Day financial independence, the word independence itself, it's a little bit of a mirage. Because the truth of the matter is, 
We can only protect ourselves so much. We can get our finances in order. We can stop doing those things at work we don't like to do. We can set a course for our own well-being for the future where we can spend our time exactly the way we want to. And yet, nature and chance and sometimes even, yes, bad luck are going to impinge on our best laid plans. I'm a big fan of financial independence. I'm very excited that I understand how to make, earn, invest, and save money. Yet now more than ever, I realize that it's a luxury, but it won't protect me from life. And maybe, just maybe, That's okay. And cut. Where did Mew go? I He's can't right do here. millennial either. <laughs> He's I right swear to me. God, I mess it up every single time. I'm a Gen Xer. I know. I don't know. I <laughs> we don't know how to it's, spell. It's it's not two L's. It is three L's. Two at the beginning. Yeah. One at the end. <laughs> Yeah, but people say, don't forget the last one. Uh, oh, the yeah, one yeah, in the yeah, yeah. I'm so confused by millennials, I can't even spell it. So, sweet <laughs> <laughs> Gen Gen Z's coming up now too. So, yeah. yeah, but that goes back to one letter. So, yeah, that's true. I like the one Gen X, Gen Z. I mean, it's simple, it's straightforward. There's not much to us. No one's gonna <laughs> screw up our spelling. We're good. Forgotten. Yeah, but just forgotten. Yeah, but forgotten. That's okay. We just eat the popcorn watching the boomers and the millennials go in. (laughs) That's what I say. Listen, I would just like to point out, as the only millennial in the room, uh, that I and my generation are not the ones responsible for eating the Tide Pods. That was Gen Z. (laughs) That was Gen Z. That was not us. That was not. That was not. That wasn't the two N's and three L's. Okay, but what generation are we calling the people injecting themselves with disinfectant? They're just dumbasses. <laughs> generation dumbass. Generation, generation Darwinism. Stupid. <laughs> generation Darwinism. They will just weed themselves out. Oh, yeah, gosh, I wish. Disappear. We're going to have a lot of contenders for the Darwin Awards this year. A lot. Fish tank cleaner sounds yummy. Fish tank cleaner. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thanks, guys. I, I don't feel like I, I was able to talk much today. So you guys filled in perfectly for me. So It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday. So listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.